we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Welcome everyone. Can we clap our hands for our great God? God is so good. Excellent. That video is so good. We might play it twice. It's all right. We are Redemption Church of Plano, Texas. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I want to always let you know that we exist for four reasons. To love, to grow, to serve, and to go. All right. Have you loved God today? Excellent. We're going to continue doing that together. Long story short, that's the name of our our series right now. And we're so glad for our kids. Can we hear it for our kids? Kids, we love you. I want to tell you a large portion of who I am as in, in my faith and who I am as a person and as a believer of Jesus Christ has a lot to do with people teaching me the Bible at a young age. Let's hear it for Sunday school teachers. Anybody have a good Sunday school teacher? Yep. Once I was in college and we were taking an Old Testament survey class and so like all these obscure stories about the Bible and they kept asking questions and then I kept going Bleep. Gideon that's the answer Gideon right and oh, yep just picking up you know always and the, and the teacher finally said how do you know all this and I said Sunday school that was the answer Sunday school I have Sunday school teachers I can still name them I am so thankful for them Teresa Thompson if you're out there Carla Meyer if you're out there Love you guys. You'll mean a lot to me. Last week, week one, we talked about creation. Everyone said creation. creation. We told you that the creation story is about who instead of how. Focus on the who that shows up in the first two chapters of your Bible. And we told you that this who is a God who is a personal provider. That's a major point in the early part of your Bible. God provides what we need. In fact, God provides what we need before we need it. He creates what we need before he even creates us. We told you that sin is actually looking outside of God for provision. We've got this God who's a personal provider. So anytime we look outside of God for our provision, for what we need, that's usually sin. That usually gets us in a bunch of trouble. And Adam and Eve, the first human beings, they sinned. But what did God remain? God remained their provider even when they didn't deserve it. Jesus is that same God in Genesis providing for us Still today. There's your rundown of all last week. There is a common thread that runs through your Bible. Do you know what it is? Better yet, do you know who it is? This is our scripture memory for this month. John 5, 39. Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Hashtag, long story short, hashtag, all about Jesus. We're going to continue this as we go through this story, this long story that is your Bible. We're always going to bring it back to Jesus because it really does always come back to Jesus. Jesus was right when he said, 
These are the stories that testify of me. Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3. Let's take a quick back look at that. Genesis 3 and verse 6 says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Somebody sell sin. Somebody yell it. Sin. That's a sin. That was bad. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Somebody yell sin. sin. Oh my goodness. What happens? I want you to pay close attention, everybody. What happens to them when they sin? Verse 7 tells us, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Oh, that sounds good, right? Well, I keep reading. And they realized they were naked. There it is. It's in the Bible. They realized that they were naked. They didn't realize this about themselves before this moment. It was sin that altered the way they saw themselves. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. Say coverings. coverings. One more time. Say coverings, coverings for themselves. So get this. I want you to understand that. Sin changed Adam and Eve. It changed how they saw each other. And it changed how they saw themselves. Did Adam love Eve? He did. But you just read a few verses after this. He blames the whole thing on Eve. And then when that doesn't work, he blames the whole thing on God. Did he love God? And did he love Eve? Yes and yes. What changed? Did God change or did Eve change? What changed was sin changed the way he saw everything. Sin changes the way we see everything. So what did they do? Let's try to block out what we're seeing, right? Let's try to not see it. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to hide their nakedness. And it, they called it a covering. And that's a big word in the Bible that keeps coming up over and over again. So it worked, right? They were totally happy with their fig leaf clothes, right? Everything worked out good there. Y'all know better than that. It doesn't just end there. It's, it's a bad problem. It didn't work. Their covering did not work. And before God banishes Adam and Eve from that beautiful garden of Eden, God does this. Genesis 3 verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. So God's the one that covers them I want you to know this this is something to know in your Bible sin requires a covering sin requires a covering and only God can provide the covering Adam and Eve couldn't provide their own covering God provided their covering and then this this is important this is right here in the front of your Bible, and it plays out the rest of your Bible. The covering requires a death. The first death in the Bible is actually when God slays an animal to make clothes to cover the nakedness that sin uncovered. 
That's the first physical death. God forces Adam and Eve to leave the Garden of Eden, but then he makes sure that he gives them a promise before they leave. That's our good God. Even when we're in trouble, he gives us a promise. So we're going to look at that real quick. It's Genesis 3.15. We talked about this last week. If you have a Bible, a Bible with pages in it, you should highlight this verse. If you've got a Bible that's on your phone, you should make a note of this verse. Here it is. Genesis 3.15. Will you read it out loud with me? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, we preached about this last week, how Jesus is in this verse, that this is the first Jesus verse. This is the first prophecy about Jesus in your Bible. And we know ultimately that Jesus is the fulfillment of this verse and God fulfills this on the cross, right? Thousands of years later. But, get this, Adam and Eve don't know this. They've had their eyes open just a little bit. <laughs> they don't, they just received this promise. They're going, oh, okay. They had no idea. If you told them it's about a cross, they'd go, what? If you told them about a carpenter, no, they wouldn't understand. About a guy who's going to walk on water, they're going to go, what? What is this? I want you to understand this. This is a big point. God gives promises that we don't understand. Somebody knows what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever received a promise that you don't understand? Gosh. Oh, God's, God's given me dreams that I didn't understand. And then suddenly, boom, they blew up on me. I'm like, what? Look at that. Didn't understand it. There's promises in the word we don't understand. But they, God gives promises that we don't understand. When God gives you a promise, you need to pray on that promise. You need to seek to understand stand the promise. I want you to know that you don't have to figure out the promise on your own. You don't have to make the promise happen. I'm going to work really hard that this promise happens. That's not how it works. Here's what you do when God gives you a promise. You simply believe the promise. I don't know what you're going through today in your life. You might have some school bullies that are driving you crazy. And you're worried you're in the middle of summer, but still worried about next year and meeting that Tommy face to face. Because that no good Tommy is the bully. I want you to know, you don't have to fix Tommy. But here's a promise. God will never leave you or forsake you. Just believe that promise. How about this one? God himself will fight your battles. That's a promise. You don't have to make that happen. You don't have to understand how he's going to fight your problems, but just Stand on that and don't be afraid about Tommy the bully. Now, Tommy the bully can be anything. But the promises of God can defeat any bully and any problem. Who knows it's true? So now we're going to shift a little bit. We're going to go to Genesis 4, where Adam and Eve have two sons. Who can name their son? Who, who's a kid in here that can name their sons? Adam and Eve have two sons. They're boys. They're named Abel and Cain. Who said it? Where was it? 
I was an adult. My goodness. And a teacher too. All right. <laughs> yes, everybody say Cain. Cain. And Abel. Abel. Adam and Eve have these two sons. And they surely thought that one of these two sons would be the answer to the Genesis 3.15 promise about the seed of the woman defeating the serpent. They surely thought. They wondered, which one is it? Which one do you think it is? Is it this one or that one? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of think it's this one. I don't know. I saw this one. Look how this one looks around. and Look how this one has learned to walk. Maybe it's this one. They've, they've under, they're, they're trying to understand the promise. Now they've received these promised children. And they're like, oh, wonder how it's going to work out. One of these two children surely would crush the head of the enemy. So Cain was a gardener. Everyone say gardener. gardener. He worked in the soil. He, he planted and he harvested. He, did, he brought about vegetables and fruit, right? And then Abel was a, does anybody know? Shepherd. A shepherd. And so he tended livestock like sheep. And the two brothers brought, each brought an offering before the Lord. They said, God, we're going to bring this to you. We're going to give this to you. And Cain, he brought the works of his hands, the best produce, produce from his garden, and he offered it to the Lord. And Abel, what did he bring? He brought the firstborn of his flock and offered a perfect spotless lamb to the Lord. And what ends up happening is God approves one of their sacrifices, one of their offerings, but does not approve the other offering. You can't just bring God anything. God has specific things he wants you to bring, and you have to be obedient. So God approved whose sacrifice? Do you know which one? Abel. Abel, the one who brought the lamb. And God did not favor the sacrifice of Cain. Why is that? What is that supposed to teach us? Both brothers brought an offering. But not all offerings are equal in God's eyes. Cain brought human effort. Cain brought, I did this much work and I got this much harvest and I brought it. And Abel, he brought obedience. Everyone say obedience. Remember when Adam and Eve needed a covering, it was God who slew an animal to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. And Abel's offering followed God's pattern. That's called obedience. If God tells you to follow this pattern and you do, that is called obedience. Obedience is better than our best human effort. Obedience is better than any other kind of sacrifice you can bring. If you're going to bring an offering to the Lord, make sure that offering is brought in obedience. Listen, everybody, the Bible tells you to honor your mother and father. So when we worship God, 
We're bringing him an offering, but we need to make sure that we're honoring our mom and dad so that we are obedient. There are certain things the Bible tells us not to do and certain things the Bible tells us definitely to do. And we need to do those things or not do those things to be obedient. And when you are obedient, what you bring to God is approved. Do you want to be approved by God? So Cain was not approved by God. And he was okay with it. Wrong. He, was, he, he got over it eventually. No. Cain was angry. Have you ever been angry? Two people are telling the truth in here. Have you ever been angry? Yes. Yes, we've been angry. Why was Cain angry? Well, he gave his best. He gave good effort. He gave things that were of value to him. But his best effort was not good enough. I want to tell you, your best effort is not what impresses God. But your obedience is what impresses God. Genesis 4 verses 6. This is a big moment. God is speaking to Cain. Can you imagine how cool it would be if God spoke to you? Well, it can happen. Here's how it happens right here in this verse. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Everybody show me what it looks like to be downcast. In case you don't know, look around. That's what it looks like. It's like, oh, maybe you kick us rock. Upset, right? Yep. Kids, just imagine... Mom and dad took away your Nintendo Switch. That's downcast. All right. So why are you upset? Why are you angry? Why are you looking down? Why are you looking like that? That's what God's telling him in verse 7. What does it say? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Let's talk about this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Cain needed to admit that he did not do right. And that doesn't happen in this story. Cain needed to, the, the first thing about coming to God is to admit you are a sinner. That you have not done what is right. If you think that you have done everything right, you are not with God. There's a thing called repentance. And that is when you confess to God that you have not done what is right. And you start to do what is right. That is repentance. Can you say repentance? It's confession. It's repentance and it equals acceptance. God will accept you when you repent. But if you do not do what is right, it tells us sin is crouching at your door. Last week, Genesis 1 and 2 personified God giving him natural attributes. Remember that? So we have a spiritual God and suddenly he is God hands. 
and he's walking and he's breathing. It's a personification. Now here we see sin personified as what? Sin crouching at your door, desiring to have him. I want you to think about that. What does that look like to you? Tech team, can y'all help me? What does that look like to you? I want you to think, what does it look like for sin to be crouching at your door? Trying to have you. We edited it. We edited that for you. Who thinks that ended happy? Did anybody see that lion? Did anybody see that lion get really low to the ground? Stealth. Seeking its prey. Waiting for the right moment to pounce an unexpected baby buffalo. Sin. That's the kind of language brought here in verse 7, chapter 4 of Genesis. Sin is like that lion stalking its prey. Sin is like that dangerous lion seeking to have you. And that's what God is telling Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. It is ready to strike. It wants to have you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8. Kids, this is the New Testament. It tells us this. Be alert. Somebody say, look out. out. Somebody say, be alert. alert. And it says, be of sober mind. That means pay close attention. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. What is this trying to teach us? It's trying to teach us this. Sin is dangerous sin is not something to play around with sin is like this lion and one moment it's there and the next moment it's here and it's too late we need to do what's right how do we do what's right we repent we do not play around with sin but what does Cain do does Cain repent verse 8 says this now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Here is the first murder in your Bible. And it's a brother killing a brother. Cain did not repent. Cain continued to sin. And sin affected Cain Cain's continued sin then affected his brother. Sin will affect you and it will affect those closest to you. How important is it that we don't sin? Well, let me ask you this way. Do you love your brother and your sister? Do you love your mom and dad? I'm telling you that sin could cause you to harm those closest to you. Do you love your friends? How many friends have been hurt? By sin out of control in our life over and over again. 
And so Cain killed Abel. And that is the first murder in your Bible. That's the first murder in the history of mankind. I now want you to come back here to Adam and Eve. I want you to imagine how did Adam and Eve feel when they realized Abel was gone. Remember that this is the first murder ever. They didn't even know this could happen. Nobody had ever died before. This could happen. That had to shock them. And then what did they do when they find out? You mean Cain did this? Cain did this? This is not how it was supposed to turn out. God gave us this promise about the seed, right? John, G- Genesis 3.15 told us that the seed of, of, of Eve was supposed to crush the serpent. And now we know it's definitely not Abel and it's not Cain. Neither of them. What is up with this promise, God? Cain or Abel was supposed to be the promised child to crush the head of the enemy. But sin ran amok in Cain and it caused both of them a good future. Abel died and Cain spent the rest of his life just wandering. I want to remind you God gives us promises that we don't understand. God gives us promises that we don't understand. You don't have to figure the promise out. You don't have to make the promise happen. Just believe the promise because the promises of God are true. We often ask why God. Have you ever asked why God? If you haven't, you probably will one day. Why God? I want to give you the shortest answer to that question. The shortest answer to why God is this. It's probably sin. It's probably sin. Sin brought death. So if you've ever asked, why did somebody I care about die? The answer is probably sin because sin brought death into the world. Sin brought sickness into the world. God, why why did someone steal from me? Well, the answer to that is really cut and dry. It's sin. Sin was working in someone's life and they stole from you. God, why am I always afraid and why am I depressed? It's the effects of sin. The short answer is sin. That's not to make light of anyone's problem. That's not to make light of what you're going through. But it is to cut right to the chase. All of this story is about how Adam and Eve fell and how Cain fell and how people still continue to fail in the area of sin. This shows how destructive sin is. Adam and Eve's sin led them to this heartache. Do you realize if they had not sinned, this wouldn't have happened? And Cain's sin and lack of repentance, it led to this heartache. Sin always leads to death. Sin never leads to life. Sin always leads to sorrow. It does not lead to joy. Sin always leads to hell. Sin is bad. So God confronts Cain. 
This is interesting. How does God confront sinners? That's, a, that's an interesting thought. I want to tell you, here's what God doesn't do. He doesn't just, like, kill him. And I'm thankful for that. Aren't you thankful that when we sin, God doesn't just, like, yeah. Thanos snap us out of existence? Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad about it. Genesis 4.9 says this. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, this is the first place in your Bible that directly mentions the word blood. And that's a pretty important word in your Bible. And it says something really interesting. It says that the blood does what? The blood cries out. He tells Cain, listen. Like, it's something that can be heard. That's really interesting. What's that about? Scripture is personifying blood. Why? When you're reading this, I want you to think about these kind of questions. What, what's what, what with the personification of a spirit we call God? What's up with the personification of blood here? What is this supposed to teach us? I want, it, it teaches us that blood is more than the red stuff that flows in our body. Blood has a spiritual unseen attribute. There is something about blood that God gets that we don't get. There is something about blood that God's able to listen to when we don't even understand what that means. Blood cries out. What does that mean? That means God hears blood somehow. I want you to think about every murder that's ever happened. God hears it. God hears the murder. Every suicide, that's when someone takes their own life. It's a terrible, terrible thing. God hears it somehow. We're all saddened about it. God feels it at an entirely different level. How about violence? How about injustice? These are things that we should feel bad about. But I want to tell you, God feels about them on an entirely different level than us. The blood of every victim cries out to the Lord continually. Here's a thought. What if the blood of Abel is still crying out? What if the blood of every victim is still crying out? What, if, what about the person, uh, the blood of every person that's been abused is still crying out and we sometimes think God do you even care oh God cares so much God can't get away from the cries God hears them and God looks at Cain and says listen because he wants him to hear it God wants us to hear the pain and the suffering that's in the world the question is not does God care the question is do we care? We need to care. 
We need to be brothers, keepers, and care, and love. That's what we need to be. The heart of God is moved by the pain and the suffering in our world. But let me ask you this. Think a little bit. Think a little bit. And I don't have an exact answer, but I have a pretty good biblical answer. I'll give it to you. But I want you to think. Think. It's crying out. What is it crying? What is this blood crying out to God? What is it trying to communicate? What would the blood maybe be saying if it's crying? Like, I, I know, I recognize the cry of my children, right? Understand? I can't find my shoes. I know uh, that's the cry of my people. I know it. I know that. Does, it, does that cry exist in anyone else's house? We, we understand the cries, but what is the cry here? And what is God trying to teach us about the crying out? The blood of Abel, I believe, is crying out for the judgment of God to come make things right. This was an unrighteous act done against me. God, make it right. The blood of Abel was crying out against his murderer, Cain. God, make this right. Genesis 18, 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. Now, these are evil cities. What's happening here is that those that were killed in these wicked cities, they are the ones crying out to God to perform his judgment to make things right. Very quickly, in the, 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 towards the end of your book, in Revelation... There are souls in heaven crying out and they cry out, how long? How long before you come and make everything right? I want to tell you from the very beginning, God has heard the cries of people asking him to make things right. So why is that important? Why is all this important? We got the mention of blood, and it looks spiritual and beyond our understanding. And then we've got one brother killing the other. What's that all about? Trying to understand that. How is this, how is this more than just a story? Is it just a story, or does it have importance to our life? What's that importance? And if it's important, then you got to tell me how is it important so I can understand. Well... Give you the shortest answer possible. Jesus. Jesus is the answer to why this is important. Jesus clearly shows up in the picture of this story. Like Jesus says, these are the stories that testify of me. Jesus. Jesus is a lot like Abel. Get that for a second. Jesus is a lot like Abel. Think about that. Jesus is called our brother in the book of Hebrews. Several times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our brothers, and we're called his brothers and sisters. Abel's a brother, right? Jesus is like that good brother who was obedient to God and approved by God. Was Abel approved by God? Was he obedient to God? Yes. Jesus is called our great shepherd, a lot like Abel, who is a shepherd. And Abel was murdered because he was righteous. 
And Jesus was murdered because he was righteous. Jesus was murdered by jealous brothers. If we're brothers and sisters, it's us in our sin. That's why he died. And just as Abel was murdered, why? By who? His jealous brother. So Abel is like a picture of Jesus. Abel, way back, is showing everyone what Jesus is going to be like. Now, that doesn't mean Abel is Jesus, but that's a picture of what Jesus is going to be like. It's telling us about Jesus thousands of years before Jesus would come and be born in Bethlehem. The story of Cain and Abel is a story of Jesus, and this story testifies of him. But there is one major difference between Jesus and Abel. Come back to the blood. Remember that blood of Abel that cries out for judgment we told you? Hebrews 12 and 24 tells us this. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here we got blood speaking again, right? The blood of Abel, but the blood that is sprinkled by Jesus. The blood that is given by Jesus does what? It speaks a better word. Whatever it is that the blood of Cable, uh, the blood of Abel is speaking, the blood of Jesus is speaking a better word. Do you understand this? You with me? It's okay if you don't. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Luke twenty-four. Uh, sorry, Luke twenty-three and thirty-four. Jesus said these words: "Father, forgive them." For they know not what they are doing. Jesus says this where? Kids, somebody, who, where is Jesus when he says these words? On the cross. He's on the cross. He is moments from dying. His blood is dripping on the ground. And he prays, Father, forgive them. I want to tell you this. That the blood of Abel cries out for judgment. But the blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness. That's a better word, isn't it? Only the blood of Jesus can cry out for our forgiveness. The blood of every victim is crying out for judgment. But only the blood of that perfect lamb cries out for our forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. In him, being Jesus, we have redemption through what? Through his blood. We have redemption through what? We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. So remember this. Sin requires a covering. You remember that? The blood of Jesus is our covering. The blood of Jesus is our covering. We can't sew together fig leaves to cover our sin. 
only the blood of Jesus can cover us with his blood. Adam and Eve were not able to cover themselves. Cain's good works when he brought the vegetables to the sacrifice wasn't able to cover him. Only the blood of Jesus can cover your sin. Your Bible has been teaching you this all the way back in the early parts of Genesis. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Kids, are y'all still with me tonight? Y'all still with me? Two of y'all are. Got a verse, Genesis 4 9, looking at it one more time. Then the Lord said to the Cain, Where is your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain was not his brother's keeper. Say amen if that's true. Amen. Yeah. But Jesus is his brother's keeper, he is his sister's keeper, he keeps us. He keeps us all and cares for us. Jesus sacrifices himself for the very ones who would torture him. The very ones who did those mean things for him. He cried out for their forgiveness and he died for them. So I want to ask you as we're coming to a close. Are you your brother's keeper? Are you your sister's keeper? I know we got struggles in our homes where we fight and stuff. But we need to let go of those things. We need to let go of sin. Because sin works in us. Sin is trying to have you. What seems like just an argument in your home is more than just an argument in your home. It's sin. It can turn into mean things. And it desires to have you. And it's going to find a way to work in your heart. So I got to ask you, are you jealous like Cain was jealous. Are you angry like Cain was angry? Is sin stalking you? Is sin stalking you through jealousy, through greed, through hatred, through pride, through lying, through stealing? If that's true, you're not alone. Sin is stalking all of us. It desires to have all of us. But here's where we're going to end. What should we do when sin is after us? What is it, Lily? That's good. You should always take a moment. Think about what's going on. That's really good. And then you should talk to who? We should talk to God. That's what Cain should have done. He should have talked to God. He should have confessed his sin. He should have asked God to forgive him. And today, you can do that. When we come to this altar, you go ahead and stand all over this place. We're about to come. You can come if you already want to. What we're going to do is we're going to offer a moment for you to repent. A moment for you to ask God to cover you with the blood of Jesus, to help you to love others, to be a keeper of your brother and sister, to not sin against other people. We're going to do that by repenting. And I want to just lead you through a prayer of repentance. I want to kind of teach you how to repent. If you don't know how to repent, this is a great way to repent. All you have to do is mean what we're about to pray. 
you want, repeat after me. Father, I'm a sinner. I've said the wrong things. I've done the wrong things. I've thought the wrong things. I am a sinner. Forgive me. I turn away from evil. I turn away from sin. I want to live for you. I'm asking you to let the blood of Jesus cover all of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. I belong to you. You are my Savior. You are the one who keeps me. I praise you in Jesus' name. Can we clap our hands in this place? Now, we're about to spend some time worshiping, and you want prayer in this place. I want to come pray with you. I want to see God do one, do wonderful things in your life. But here is something so important to hear. So I'm going to take a moment and say it. When you pray for Jesus to forgive you, you only have to wait three weeks, and then it works. It's three to five business days, and then you'll get something in the mail. You'll open it up and go, oh, look, I qualify for repentance. No. When are you forgiven? Already. Somebody say, already. You're forgiven right now. Because Jesus is that one who crushed the head of that lion, that serpent, the one who is after us. It is Jesus. And so now you don't have to wait. You don't have to remain guilty. You don't have to remain angry. You don't have to remain fearful. You don't have to remain sorrowful. You have been covered by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's talk to him today. Let's reach out to him. I pray for all my friends online. God, touch my friends. Minister to them, God. Let them find that forgiveness in Jesus' name. I want to pray with people. I want to see God work in our life in Jesus' name. Come on, redemption. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.